Best introduction I could give to the series of talks for this conference is what was actually sent to me to, when I was explained what I wanted to do. So I don't know whether these are from your publicity or anything. I didn't get around to looking at that. But um, Christians to be empowered to step out as cross-cultural missionaries right where they are. Hearts broken for the loss and transformed with the compassion and determination that there are no no-go areas for the gospel. Practical tools and principles given to people to put it into practice. So that's where we're going. That's what I, that's what I was sent. And uh, when I get a very clear brief, it really helps me, to be honest. So thank you. <laughs> so, firstly, our calling as churches in Bedford, and because it's your conference, yours in particular... Um, and our calling as churches in Bedford is to be a family from every tribe, tongue and nation represented in the town in the context of the multitude of cultures, social classes and it's not just ethnic, it's social we live in a very diverse town in every way so multitude of cultures, social classes and young and old that God in his wisdom and grace has placed in the town for which we're responsible. Okay? So our calling is to reflect that. If we're in a diverse place, the church ought to be representative, reflecting and reaching all that diversity. Okay? So why is this? Well, firstly, because it is what the Bible teaches us the Church of Jesus Christ is meant to be. So we don't actually start from Bedford, okay? We start from a much bigger journey of the whole Scripture. You see, world mission, sometimes people say, well, let's have a talk on world mission. And you think, well, there's about three Scriptures we can use for that. There's Matthew 28, uh, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. There's Acts 1.8, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll, be my, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then we can pick out from Romans 15, preaching the gospel where Christ has not been named. It's great, it's great you know, to preach the gospel where there aren't any believers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Wouldn't some of you from all nations like to do that? Okay, wouldn't you like to send a few people to places where there's no believers? When you plant churches where there's no believers, you don't have any problem with people who are discontented with the other churches coming and joining you. Okay, so it makes church planting much simpler in that respect. So that's Romans 15. So then you might go into Revelation and talk about every tribe and tongue and nation. But that's about it, you know. Actually, this whole book summarises the mission of God to transform the world through Jesus the Messiah. This whole book is a, a book of mission. And it's not our mission. It's not All Nations Church Bedford mission. It's the mission of God to transform the world. And it's the, it was the mission of God to spread people across the world. God, as John Piper puts it, is more honoured in diversity than uniformity. 
He's the glorious creator God. It was his plan for different cultures, different languages. Okay, you might say, well, didn't that come as a result of his judgment? No, it was his plan. Because right through the Bible, you get that theme right at the beginning. The first missionary command was given in the Garden of Eden. Go, they were enjoying the presence of God in the garden. It was the first temple. Because a temple is just where God meets with men and women. And they were told, take this first temple Take what I've made you to be as the image bearers, male and female together, the image bearers of God, and spread that. Go and fill the earth with it. Now we know they fell into sin and so the earth got filled with sin. But the plan was for the whole earth to be filled in glorious diversity with the presence of God. That's the, that was the plan of God. Noah had a similar command. As soon as he came out of the flood, go and fill the earth, scatter across the earth. And Genesis 10, list of nations, but he says they spread right over the world. And they, the, um, the Tower of Babel was actually built in rebellion against the scattering of the people across the world. He said, lest we we build a tower and a city, lest we be scattered over the whole earth. And yet it was the plan of God that they would be scattered over the whole earth so that the whole earth could one day, through the redemption of the Messiah, become a place for the glory of God. That's why they had to spread. And so this whole book is that. So the blessing of the nations was promised and celebrated in the Old Testament. It was promised to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, all the families, I like that translation, it's not just nations, it's actually a smaller word than nation. It's actually the nearest equivalent would be all clans, but not all cultures have clans nowadays. Uh, you do if you're in Scotland, but other than that, uh, we don't, aren't terribly familiar with clans in the UK. When I started preaching on clans in Eastern Europe, they just used the word for the mafia, so that didn't help much. Uh, but uh, but, but it's, it's, a, it's not as big as a tribe, but bigger than an extended family. Everyone in the earth will be blessed through uh, Abraham and then that was later extended and through your descendants, all the nations it was there, not clans, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. And that first promise to Abraham came just as the nations had had their languages confused because they'd not wanted to spread out across the world, thus opposing God's plan to fill the earth with his glory. This is it. It was celebrated in song. The Psalms celebrated it. Regarding Jerusalem, it will be said, everyone enjoys the rights of citizenship there. And the Most High will personally bless this city when the Lord registers the nations, all the nations of the world, he will say they've all become citizens of Jerusalem. Now that must be bigger than a physical place 
because it would be impossible for the physical place to, but, but actually it's like every nation yeah. is yeah. to be counted as citizens of Zion. Amen. Zion is not now a focal point in the Middle East. Zion is across the whole earth yeah. where the presence of God Very is known. Yeah. It was promised to the coming Messiah. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. That was a time when Israel was going to go into captivity and then there was a promise to restore them. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that's the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Yeah. See, it's always the plan, right through. It's not just Acts 1.8. <laughs> and God's ultimate purpose was celebrated by the prophets. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. Yeah. Okay, that's the plan of God. That's why we have mission. Again, to quote John Piper, mission exists because worship doesn't everywhere yet. (laughs) It was fulfilled in Christ, the son of Abraham. As soon as as Matthew announces, these are the generations of Jesus the Messiah, son of Abraham. Immediately, what were they thought? Every nation is blessed. Son of David, a kingdom will come that will rare, it'll be ruled forever. When the Greeks had tried to come up and worship in Jerusalem and they couldn't, even though they wanted to, because the court of the nations was full of money changers and people selling. That's what pained Jesus. It wasn't because he didn't like things being sold. It was because it was the court of the nations. And the Gentiles couldn't, the Greeks couldn't get there. So they said, well, can we see Jesus then? They've got something there. Jesus, when he was here, was the temple. And he said, yeah, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men, all peoples, that means, to me. It's, it's to be, and so it's fulfilled in Christ. It's promised and celebrated in the Old Testament. It's fulfilled, I'm just giving you the whole Bible, you know. Just, it's fulfilled in Christ and it's worked out in us because we are in Christ. And now you belong to Christ. You are the true children of Abraham. You are heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Okay, tell your neighbour the promise to Abraham belongs to you. You are a blessing to the nations. Come on, take it, folks. Get hold of it. God's plan is to fill the earth with his glory. Therefore, there must be worshippers and a representation of the temple of God everywhere. This was made promise, this was made possible to the fulfillment of the promise in Christ, in whom every promise of God is yes, and through those who are in Christ. This is the whole mission of God 
the great plan of God for our lives and our churches in which we need to find our destiny. Don't say, what is God's plan for my life? Say, what is my part in God's plan to transform the world? And what is All Nations Church Bedford's part in God's plan to transform the world? So, how did God do it? Well, the scattering of people groups was quite common in biblical times. What we're seeing today in people groups moving around the world, it's always been like that. There are seasons where it's increased because of war and so on. But it's always been like that. Sometimes for positive reasons, sometimes negative. In fact, you know, we've all migrated from somewhere sometime. And biblically, people were told to move. Abraham moved in obedience. Leave this place and go to that place. The people of Israel were refugees in Egypt, then moved out en masse to Canaan. Jesus also was a refugee in Egypt. That's why Christians should particularly care for refugees, because we follow the greatest refugee in history. You understand? If you ever hear people complaining about refugees, remember we follow a refugee who went into Egypt as a refugee and then uh, to fulfill Old Testament promises and prophecies out of Egypt was called my son. You understand? Jewish people lived all over the Roman Empire, would come to Jerusalem, hence the effectiveness of the day of Pentecost, because their mother tongue by then was the language of where they'd migrated to. He says, Jews said, we all hear in our own language. That wasn't Aramaic, which they spoke in Israel at the time. That was the language of the people amongst whom they now lived. And like today, the cities of the Roman Empire, where the Christian gospel was first preached and churches established, were multi-ethnic and multi-social cities. For example, in Antioch, which became a missionary base, there were Chinese, Indians, Arabs and Africans, as well as Greeks and Jews. In fact, one was an African in the leadership team of the church. These were multicultural places. And the New Testament very frequently addressed the issues this raised in the church as people became followers of Jesus from many diverse backgrounds, both ethnically and socially. So some Bible stories on this theme. I like to teach a few Bible stories. I've given you the big story now of the whole Bible. So, well, firstly... The story of Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius was a senior officer in the Roman Empire, in the Roman army. At that time, only Jewish believers were in the church, but Cornelius was already praying regularly and being generous to the poor. And he had a vision of an angel saying, go and find Peter, then the leader of the place, of the church from a place called Joppa. Now, this is interesting. 
Because when we talk about, when we're going to talk on the third session, I'll just give you a little preview of the Holy Spirit in mission. It's not that the Holy Spirit just empowers us in our mission, but the Holy Spirit is already working and we join his mission. Do you understand? Because the Holy Spirit was already working here. Angels appeared to this unbeliever. And, well, and then at the same time as that happened, Peter fell asleep while praying, which, so, you know, you're in good company if that happens, and <laughs> had a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven with all sorts of animals that Jews would never eat and that Peter had not allowed to pass his lips. God said, kill these animals and eat them. Peter struggled but then at that moment, Cornelius's men knocked at the door and Peter went with them to a non-Jewish home which he would never, ever in his life have visited before because they wouldn't eat with non-Jews. His food he wouldn't normally eat. Meals together in those days were a sign of acceptance and friendship, still is in many cultures. As Peter preached, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentile listeners. This story is so important, it's told twice and referred to a third time in the book of Acts. So important. Now, whose conversion involved the biggest struggle? Was it Cornelius who just listening, and even just as he was listening, the Holy Spirit fell on him? Or was it the... Self, slightly self-righteous and somewhat prejudiced Christian leader who had said, no, Lord. Who need to be converted the most? You see, Peter understood that all the nations would be blessed, but he thought they should become Jews first. Tragically, that mistake has been repeated throughout church history, where people have gone to places with the gospel and brought their culture with the gospel and somehow expected there to be cultural conformity as well as gospel believing. Okay, Peter was struggling with that. Second is a story of Corinth. Just briefly, I'll give you that. It's a long story, but I'll just do it briefly. Corinth was a very, very wealthy city in the ancient world. The church there, however, was mainly poorer people, but with some who were very rich. It was a multi-social church. In the early story, it's multi-ethnic. Corinth, it was multi-social. Because Erastus, the city treasurer, was a believer. Now, in those days, being a city treasurer meant you... <laughs> were pretty well off. And a guy called Gaius who had this massive house that the whole church, not just house groups, could meet in. Though all were part of the church, the rich did not receive the poor as equals. Didn't say they didn't help them. We can help the poor without receiving the poor as equals. So in the larger houses, when the church met, there would be two rooms for eating in Corinth. This is from history. 
In those days, what we'd call communion was a meal, part of which was sharing the bread and wine. The rich who had more leisure would be meeting in one room. And the poor who worked hard and came late then had to sit in the other room while the big feast had already been going on. Paul said, this is terrible. It's not discerning the fact of the body of Christ that all God's people are equal. And because of this practice, God's judgment was upon them. Some were sick and some had even died. When it says examine yourself and not eating judgment to yourself, that's what it meant. It meant that we were, people were looking down upon both in their attitudes and their actions, other people within the church. We often apply it to totally different things. But that's what it was that meant. All were equally welcome. Hence, it's not just a vision for racial harmony between different groups, but social harmony between rich and poor, slaves and free in those days, businessmen and workers, greatly educated and less educated, professional and working classes, each equally received within the church and the whole of the church life geared up to serve all and not just certain people. Because often our churches, even in the UK today, particularly serve the interests of those who tend to predominate, which is white middle class. Okay. Sorry, I just giving you as it is. There was also a contrast with the Jerusalem temple that was behind the biblical background here. In ancient Jerusalem, the temple dominated, built at the top. Right in the center and at the top was the holy, holiest place, then descending courtyard to courtyard. In the holiest place, only the high priest could go once a year. The next courtyard, only Jewish men could go. The next courtyard, only Jewish women could go. Then a very strong wall, as if to say the rest of, of this is very different. And anyone who wasn't a Jew would see written on that wall, anybody not of Jewish birth and going further will be responsible for their own death. That stone was found about 120 years ago that said that. Okay, hardly a welcoming policy, is it? You see? Because, and the other nations stayed in this court of the Gentiles, which, of course, at that time, when Jesus was there, was given over to all sorts of other things. So the ancient temple spoke of separation. Separation between God and man. Separation between priests and ordinary people. Separation between men and women. Separation between the different nations. That's what it spoke about. In the cross of Christ. At the cross. The curtain in the temple was torn in two. So that all could go in on the same basis, that of, as we sang earlier, the wonderful blood of Jesus. 
And all the other separations were broken as well. So that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. And the church is to be a contrast. It's, it's now the temple of God, but it's to be a contrast with that old temple because now the temple is to speak of healing and unity between nations, different social groups, between men and women, and so on. Okay, that's the vision. That was the big contrast. And Paul refers to this in his letter to the Ephesians, in what I call one new humanity in Christ. I prefer to say that. The old translations say one new man in Christ. It's much better today to say one new humanity in Christ. Okay, because English is a bit defective on that one. Other languages don't have that problem. Okay, so um, it says this, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility, which was that wall in the temple that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. You see, one of the reasons for the Old Testament law was to keep Israel separate from all the other peoples. That was one of the purposes of it. And that was a right purpose because the Messiah was to come from Israel. But once the Messiah had come, all those differences are broken down. So what you can eat and all that sort of stuff. And so he made peace by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating himself one new people, as his translation puts it, from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Hallelujah. Amen? Yes. Yes. And there's still national hostility. Yeah. I've, on a number of occasions, had to handle that sort of thing when the war broke out in Russia and Ukraine and Crimea, I had to reconcile. Because did you know most Christians, evangelicals, support their own government at war? Had you noticed? And we think we're right. I mean, our country's right, isn't it? That's what we think. What, what happens when you've got pastors who are meeting together who each support their own country during a time of war. When I said, oh, surely they don't. Yes, they do. One pastor said to me, I've been praying for Crimea to be restored to Russia for years. You understand? But English people do that. Not Crimea, but other things. <laughs> And so I had to bring them together. And I said, look, I was born in England, but my identity is not English. My identity is in Christ. And I'm an in Christ 
That's my first identity. And I love my nation. I pray for my nation. But that's not my identity. Okay? And I got a Ukrainian brother up and did the same with him. And the Russian brother and did the same with him. So, then also the church as a family respects all ages. That's very clear in the New Testament. So, we've done it socially, ethnically, age-wise. So, it's very, very clear. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. This is more understood in some parts of the world than others. Because <laughs> some, some parts of the world, people don't speak particularly respectfully to their own fathers. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. And treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Okay, so the first reason is why this is important is because it's Bible teaching from beginning to end that I've tried to show you. But also, it's because of where God has placed us in Bedford. We're in a town with many ethnic groups within it. We have a contrast, cross-section of people from different social backgrounds, housing estates, public schools, all sorts of professions, local workers and commuters. If we want to reach this town, therefore, we have to say, all those groups are welcome and we need to find creative ways of demonstrating that to all of those groups. See? When people come to church for the first time, it's helpful, whoever they are, if they can say, hmm, there are people like us here. You understand? It's very important that we demonstrate that. That's a major evangelistic statement for people who come into your building. And fourthly, because it's to impact our style and our practice. Okay? This isn't optional. It's not just a, the specialism of a few churches who have names like all nations. Okay? It's a good name. Don't disagree with that. But in your teams... Socially and ethnically mixed as far as possible. Leadership team, worship team, small groups, children's and youth teams, etc. must all reflect this ambition. In our attitudes, that there's no sense of superiority. The Bible says this, it says this. Do not lie to one another. That's fairly clear. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, what's the description of the new self? If the old self is lying to one another, what's the new self? The new self is, there's no Greek and Jew. The new self is corporate. The old self is individualistic. Put off those sins. The new self 
He's, Paul starts, it's corporate. Here, neither Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised. And things have progressed by this time because it wasn't a question now just of Jews not liking Greeks. Actually, Greeks looked down on barbarians and Scythians. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all in the new self. The renewed is corporate renewal. Barbarians were people who didn't speak Greek or Latin. And therefore, the educated looked at them and said, their language is just bar, 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 bar. Okay? <laughs> so they got called barbarians. Scythians were nomadic people from the steppes of southern Russia. And there's always been a looking down on nomadic peoples by settled peoples. Isn't that right? Yes. I was preaching in southern Russia towards the end of last year. At the end of my preach, I didn't know if they were there. 18 gypsies came to Christ. It was wonderful. The only problem was the second meeting... They were so enthusiastic, they came to the front to do gypsy dancing. And of course, they always call the preacher in to try and do the same. And just like our African friends find white men can't dance, <laughs> so do the gypsies. <laughs> Your new identity, therefore, the new self, is not racial, it's not social. It's not how educated you are. What do you think of identity? Is it? Well, yeah, I've got a good education. Or your profession, is that your identity? No, the new self isn't. This is the Bible, do you know? Not racial, social, or educated white middle class, or your career. Identity is part of the new people of God. My essential identity is not British, as I said earlier, but in Christ. And no barbarian refers to the non-Greek speaker, as I said. And I'm going to give you a quote now from a secular journalist who wrote a history of the Black Sea area, which, because I administer a lot in the Black Sea area, I read. And Neil Asherson. But he referred to this verse... He's not a Christian as far as I know, but he referred to this verse. And he said this, civilization and barbarism were twins born in the Greek imagination. They in turn gave birth to a ruthless mental dynasty, we would call a stronghold, that still holds invisible power over the Western mind. The Roman and Byzantine empires sanctified their own imperial struggles as a defense of civilized order against barbaric primitivism. So did the colonial expressions of Spain, Portugal, Holland, France, Germany, and Britain. <laughs> there is a stronghold in the West. There's other strongholds in other nations, and I, when I preach there, I'll deal with them. But in the West, there is a stronghold of superiority thinking that somehow, the Bible calls it pride. 
but it's still there. And I, I see it quite often. I see it when I take people with me to other countries and other cultures. They always say, oh, they do this, or they eat this. Well, that's all rubbish. It shows a, a way of looking at things which is thoroughly unbiblical and which Neil Asherson defines as a, that ruthless mental dynasty. No Scythian. When, and he, Asherson goes on. It's very interesting to read non-Christian commentaries on the Bible, isn't it? When Greek met Scythian, began the idea of Europe, by the way, that's not the EU, this is Western thought, okay, began the idea of Europe with all its arrogance, all its implications of superiority, all its assumptions of priority and antiquity, all its pretensions to a natural right to dominate. We have to die to those attitudes. Because they are often there. It's my experience in international settings with Europeans and North Americans. They all talk all the time. And others are just sort of sitting quiet. And our opinion must be heard. We don't come as a foot-washing servant. And then in, Paul here is declaring the victory of Christ over the whole of that attitude and saying what counts is not those divisions but Christ being all in all. Holy living is living free of racial prejudice just as much as living free of sexual immorality. And repentance is necessary for any prejudice or unconscious superiority. Unconscious, that is, until the Holy Spirit reveals it. And then, in learning from one another, all cultures need other cultures to help them grow in Christ. Those of you who come to this land from other cultures, could I just say thank you? The British church needs you to help them become mature in Christ. I'm now going to quote a Sri Lankan theologian who said this, D.T. Nillis, the gospel is not safe in any culture without a witness within that culture from beyond itself. Because we've come to terms with our own society, the total word of God has to be declared to us by another. In every culture, the message of the gospel is in constant danger of being compromised by the value system that supports that culture and its goals. The stranger to that culture can instinctively identify those points of surrender, that surrender to the surrounding culture, and call the community back to a purer and more authentic faith. But such infusions of new life are usually resented and resisted. We need one another's cultures to understand scripture properly. Easterners understand the parables much better than Westerners do because it speaks into their situation. A recent conference I was at that we ran in New Frontiers, 
we had one of the speakers reading, it was an Easterner, preached on reading the Bible as an Easterner, which is an advantage because it was an Eastern book. It is an Eastern book. And he talked about reading it as an Easterner. And so we need each other. Now, other cultures need us as well. It's mutual. We help each other from equating the gospel with our cultural practices as we learn from one another and how each other approach gospel truth and Christian expression and Christian life and challenge one another where we've effectively got syncretistic, that means mixing our culture with, with, with religious truth. That's syncretism. So the, what's called the prosperity gospel is actually syncretistic. It's as syncretistic as mixing idol worship with... Christianity has happened in some parts of the world because it is taking Western consumerism and dignifying it with gospel. Do you understand? Now, I know that's not our big problem, the prosperity gospel in, in this church, but I'm just, I'm just using it as an illustration. And so there's many, we need worldview change to help us. How many of you read the book and there's a play or film about it now, I think. Small Island by Andrea Levy. Any of you read it? Okay. She writes about the time when Afro-Caribbeans came to the UK in the 1950s, what we call the Windrush generation. And the resistance they had not just from the world who put horrible signs outside their houses, but from the churches who said, these new people are too noisy. I tell you, we needed you to help us become noisy. <laughs> Do you understand? But it was resisted. We would read the psalm that said, praise him with the trumpet, make a joyful noise to the Lord. <laughs> and the loud cymbals and the clanging cymbals. <laughs> but please, let's leave that in the Old Testament. Okay. Which leads me to the last way in our worship. Let that reflect our differing beautiful cultures in a multicultural church, which I think you did well this evening. Styles that, it doesn't mean you all sing one homogenous style because we've got different groups here. So we have, you know, so we have to reflect different styles. Okay. And learn to appreciate that. Hillsong and Bethel are wonderful examples of spirit-filled worship, but are also cultural expressions of wonderful spirit-filled worship. 
and not the only cultural expression. Okay? <laughs> Sometimes I think some of the songs we sing, and it's hard for English people to get all the words into the line, melody line, have you noticed? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Scylla and I, we can, you know, we've lived in Russia, we can read Russian okay. And so we go and it's worship time and the songs go up and we're reading Russian, which of course is a different alphabet. And we're, try, we're trying to get our tongues round these ru long Russian words, which they are seeming to be able to get 22 to a line that we only said five. And we're trying to keep up, you know? And then I think, hmm, what about all the people that have English as their second language? in our church. <laughs> so it's great to have those because they fit certain cultures. We'll also have simpler songs as well. Not the simpler in profound truth, but simpler in melody and so on, which all can relate to. All should reflect truth. I'm talking about style, not truth. All need to be spirit-filled and word-filled. All our worship should be both of those. But it's always a good lesson for us, you know, just to try and get these Russian words out in, in, in the time needed. So, oh, sorry, I've gone on a bit long. Forgive me. I tend to do that when I'm away from home. All, na <laughs> All Nations Church, therefore, is to reflect the community of Bedford, to reach the community of Bedford, and in doing so becomes more biblical. And let us really seek to do that. Let's stand together, shall we? <laughs> Someone also has a different suggestion, but I was going to... <laughs> okay. Fine. I just want to, you to open your heart up to the Holy Spirit now. This isn't for receiving power. We'll have that in other times. This is to open up your heart for God to show you any prejudice or sense of superiority, whichever nation you come from, because there's not only Westerners that can feel superior. Most nations have another nation they look down on. Holy Spirit, we invite your manifest presence right now. We know you're already with us and have been all the way through. We invite your manifest presence. And we say, Holy Spirit, now in this moment, but also this evening yes. and during the night yes. and our early tomorrow morning and during our day tomorrow, Lord, the Holy Spirit, 
reveal anything in our hearts that is superior, that makes our identity in something other than who we are in Christ, that puts our identity in our education or anything else, or our racial background. In Jesus' name, reveal that to us so that we can repent of it. You said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And we thank you, the rule of God, as we've seen, breaks down all barriers. I'm just going to pause now. This is you know, how the Spirit works in different ways. Start showing people, Holy Spirit, prejudices in their own heart. Lord, I ask. Things we've hardly been aware of, but you can reveal them to us. Lord, take away strongholds. Lord, we have divine power to demolish strongholds and every thought and imagination that rises up against biblical truth, which is that all nations are one in Christ. One new humanity. And whether we're rich or poor has no bearing on whether we have degrees of influence in the church. We honour the poor. Jesus' name, show it in our hearts over this time. And may there be turning away from wrong attitudes, Lord, that will, in time, and probably have in the past lead to wrong actions. Father, I pray, do your searching work amongst us during this weekend. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. David, thank you so much. I just know it's so important to know the foundations of why we do what we do. Yeah. And um, I know that we've been on a big journey as a church over many, many years, and it's just been outstanding to have that journey kind of told through the Bible again to us. <laughs> and um, just, just before we go, I, I, I just want to say this. I am so grateful for... Everyone in this church that has gone on that journey of seeking to embrace yes. everything that David mm. has, has taught. Because it's not always been easy. But you know what? You've been obedient. Yes. And I want to say thank you to you. I also want to say we are genuinely grateful for every person who comes from every background, every place that is part of the family of God here. We love you and we welcome you in the name of Jesus. And I just want to say that we are open.
to every person in this town. Because that's the heart of Jesus and we follow him.